Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey there, this is your warning. This episode contains spoilers through the end of Season 7 of the show, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. If you haven't watched it yet, wait. Come back after you have. Hey, everybody! Oh, hello! Wow, look at us! We've been off for a few weeks, and we're going to be off for a few more, but we're here with a special, special thing for your ears if you haven't already heard it. Um, Indeed. National Coming Out Day was just this past Monday. Did you have anything you wanted to tell me, Jenny? There's simply nothing that's your business, Kristen. (laughs) Let me live. Um, You know, I'm gay. I'm so gay. We're we're pretty gay. I mean, we're both pretty freaking gay, and a lot of you are too. And if any of you seized the day on National Coming Out Day and came out, congratulations. Uh, If you're waiting until next year, if you're not ready yet, that's totally chill too. We will always be here to welcome you into this beautiful chosen family uh, of queers who love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, many strong. Um, And we thought it would be a really cool time to re-air this episode, airing it for the first time here, but re-air the episode uh, called Unburied your gaze. Yeah, this conversation was had as a part of our four episode series around seeing red. Uh, It aired in our Patreon feed, but we are now putting it here in the main feed for all ears. Uh, This conversation between Emma, Jen and Kristen is so great. They're all so amazing. I am a huge fan of this episode because I got to just listen and enjoy. <laughs> Not a lick of my voice to be found. Yes. Um, as, I'll, as I'll say more to you in the episode itself, uh, this is really a collection of, of two, really three, since I'm there, two oral histories um, around uh, the character of Tara McClay and the death of Tara McClay. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, I think it's a really beautiful and powerful thing when we get to record our histories uh, around things like this and just sort of uh, let our stories be in the universe. So now they are even more in the universe. And um, we're going to get right to the episode. We just want to let you know that we will have a pretty big announcement happening about an event, uh, an in-person event. Can you even believe it? An in barely hold on to it person with my brain. event. Uh, so you can you can look pencil in on your calendars, especially if you are in the Los Angeles area or plan to get there. March 11th and 12th, we'll be um, announcing that event to our patrons first. Tickets will go on sale to our patrons first, just as it always has been. Uh, and that announcement and those tickets will go live on Halloween. Whoops. Halloween. Okay. It was a day for tickets to go on sale in our Patreon land. Blah. Yep. Um, so, so I will actually, and everyone's going to say, what time, Kristen? What time? So I will tell you that at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on October the 31st, that announcement will go out to patrons. Those tickets will go for sale. And then everyone else will get that announcement when we're back. When are we back, Jenny? 
We are going to be back on November 3rd with Season 7, Episode 1, Lessons. Yes, so all of the rest of you who are not our patrons will get all of that information on the 3rd and tickets will go on sale to the general public on November 5th. All right? All right. All right, let's go. Let's go into this feed. Let's go into this little time capsule uh, and hear from Emma and me and Jen Malkowski. Hell yes. Everyone, this episode is really very special to me. As many of you already know, I'm real queer. Uh, and as you probably know, if you listen to this podcast, the work that I did and still do, aside from talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, is working with and for LGBTQ plus communities. So in approaching Seeing Red, obviously, it, it's a daunting task. and <laughs> It's a really hard episode. And there was a lot of thinking that Jenny and I both did. And then we did with the larger team as we got closer and closer. But something that I always knew was that I wanted to do something very very special for Tara. And in talking about the loss of Tara McClay, being queer and working in queer community means that I have been very aware of the barrier gaze trope for a long time. And I've known for a long time that Tara was and is one of the most talked about losses in that narrative. But I wasn't sure what the episode would look like, what I would dig into, who I would speak with, and on and on. And some of that got answered for me this June when a listener of ours, whose name is Emma, wrote me an email. I'm just going to read. It's a, it's, short, it's a short little email, but I'm going to read it to you because it's kind of how this all began. Emma said, hello, I'm not sure if you already know about the kitten board. I can't remember hearing you mention it before. Forgive me if I'm telling you something you already know, but it was the only place to be for a Willow and Tara fan back in the day and had a very buffering vibe. It was a safe space for the gay Buffy community and also the best destination if you wanted hot, hot fanfic. Some things have not changed. It's also where I met my wife, so it holds a particularly special place in my heart. Obviously, the community was devastated as Tara's death and Willow's emergence as the big bad played out. So much so that the following FAQ was born and became, in my opinion, one of the most important pieces of writing on this issue. Emma then links to the kitten board. Now, let me just stop here before I finish the last couple of sentences uh, and just say at the top. So here's the deal with the kitten board. If you were alive in the 90s and the early aughts, you were aware of the fact that we did talk on the internet at that time, but we certainly did not talk on the internet like we do now. There wasn't social media. There was just a brand new ability to email each other. Most of us didn't get it. And then there were chat rooms and message boards. And you've heard us talk about message boards and um, forums and all of those things in the podcast before. The kitten board as Emma said, was where many, 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 many people who saw Willow and Tara on their television screens and either celebrated that relationship or knew that it meant something to them, but they weren't quite sure what went. Emma finishes the email. If you haven't read this post, and I'll talk about the post a little bit more in a second, I really hope it will feature in your coverage of these episodes because it was so important at the time. 
We board members also raised money and donated it in Tara's name to the Trevor Project, something that at the time was out of the ordinary and pretty hard with no social media to help you go viral. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. And as I said, I hope you'll consider including this as to me, no discussion of this point in Buffy's history is complete without it. (laughs) Emma had no idea that not only would we include what she had said, but also that I would email her back and be like, can you please talk to me and tell me? I am not a historian. I am not an anthropologist. I think I refer to myself as an anthropologist at some point in this conversation. But I, I have such a fascination with queer history, uh, with the history that like queer communities have written down and recorded along the way, uh, have have gathered this episode now being a part of that by sitting down and talking to people who were there then. And so Emma was just this incredible light that was that was there for me. Like I was there. I met my wife in this place. I have stories. I have, and I know so many of you are probably like, I was on the kitten board too, right? We have a lot of people who were there. And I was just so, so excited to find Emma. Before I talk a little bit about the FAQ, just to set us up before we jump into these conversations, I will say that, yes, there are two conversations here inside of this episode. And that's because if you have listened to our episode on the body, you already have met Jen Malkowski, a brilliant, brilliant human who is not only queer and was also on the kitten board, but is a university professor who focuses specifically on the portrayal of death in media. So we spoke with Jen on the body and truly to date, it is one of my favorite conversations they've ever had and ever had the privilege and honor of being able to share. Uh, and so I, I also knew that I wanted to have a conversation with Jen, both on their experience as another member of the kitten board, and also to dig a little deeper with them on some of these tropes and some of these themes and some of the things that we're talking about when we say, bury your gaze, or as the FAQ post was titled, the lesbian cliche FAQ. Of course, the link to the kitten board's post, the lesbian cliche FAQ, is in the show notes because I certainly cannot read the whole thing to you. But the summary of what's contained in here and what I'm going to talk about with both Emma first and then Jen second is the idea that for the longest time in the history of media, queer characters have died. And at the start, part of the reason that those characters were killed off in one way or another was also attached with them being an evil character, a sick character, a character who there was something wrong with them and so they needed to go away. The death of Tara, of course, doesn't fit into the pocket of Tara being a character whose queerness was painted as bad, as inherently bad. We've seen an incredibly beautiful relationship between Willow and Tara. But the fact that Tara died still fits inside of this narrative. And so this whole FAQ post that we'll reference and talk about is answering the most commonly asked questions. Like, what is the cliche? Can we never kill off a queer character? If Tara lived a full life and was a fully developed character, how could it still be the cliche? It's just one character. Why is it that big of a deal? Shouldn't you just be grateful that they gave you gay characters at all? Um, I could go on and on, but that's the idea. And you can click on the link and read this post. It's a really brilliant post. And the author's usernames, it's, this is a post written in 2002, are Kira Rock, 
uh, and Willowlicious. Uh, and you can see, you know, of course, their usernames on this whole FAQ in the link. The structure of this episode will be a conversation that I had with Emma, and it's mostly Emma. I've taken myself out of a lot of the conversation because I really do look at it as this beautiful, brilliant capture of history that is really important and also a brilliant, beautiful capture of the story that should have been listened to at the time because people were talking about it and also the story that still needs to be listened to. Something fascinating to me about talking with both Emma and Jen is that both of them knew what was going to happen at the end of this episode. There are a lot of ways that you'll hear that queer community took care of each other after this loss and made themselves feel heard and seen in ways that the show was not doing and the writers of the show were not doing. And I just think it is really stunning that one of those ways of taking care of each other was to say, I need to tell you about this because you can't just see it happen in real time. You can't be surprised by this. This It's important. So both Emma and Jen, and we'll talk about this, knew what was going to happen before they saw the episode. The first, Emma actually read the transcript of the episode before ever watching it. You'll also hear in the conversation with Emma a light reference to a quote from one of the writers of the show. So before you go looking it up, don't worry, I'm going to actually read the whole quote to you once I get to the conversation with Jen. So I'm going to leave us here. I will say clearly, and this is in the show notes, this is a spoiler full conversation. I hope that you enjoy. I hope this is meaningful to you. And also, please, please, please write to us, reply to us, comment on this post if you're listening to it on Patreon. Tell us your stories if you were on the kitten board. I think it's a really brilliant thing to continue to collect our histories in a, in a lot of ways. And this is one. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast. I want to start us off with the Buffy boards because that's like a thing that I know a lot of our listenership did I did not obviously yeah. I only started watching the show recently but I would just love to hear your experience like finding that board and like what was that all about what was that like yeah so so as I said in my email this is 20 years ago when I am now 46 so the memory is not uh the best oh, um but um so I was only on the kitten board I didn't I didn't go on any of the other buffy boards mm. um and obviously at the time there was no social media so like forums were where it was at. And I I don't even know how I stumbled across it. I was probably because I was I was quite like I was closeted at the time and hadn't really accepted um that I was gay. I knew I was, mm -hmm. but I hadn't really kind of it was just something that I kind of pushed to the side. So yeah. I was probably telling myself that I just liked to um <laughs> the, the aesthetic of Willow and Tara and it had nothing to do with um being gay um so yeah, sure, I, sure. I was probably like just you know googling yeah I presume at that time I don't know and and just looking for Willow and Tara content I guess um because they just struck such a chord with me and again probably didn't really accept the reasons why at that mm -hmm. time and um yeah, I think I just stumbled across the board and was like, oh, wow, this place is amazing. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it just felt like immediately like a safe space. And that kind of became where I accepted who I was and my online persona and was still very um, much in, in the closet in real life. So, 
mm-hmm. um that was that was where you know family was I suppose you know that found yeah. family you know you could just be who, who you really were um so yeah I mean it it does remind me very much of buffering just really supportive community you know lots of of kind of threads around you know oh I'm about to come out I'm about to tell my parents like can I have encouragement you know um all those all those kind of things and there was always a daily thread and it was like um it's talking to Chris, Kristen Day, MKF. So, like, for, so Miss, for Miss Kitty Fantastico, um, or like, <laughs> it's insane troll logic talking to Kristen Day or something like that. Um, and there were like different levels of members. So, like, the more you posted, you got you moved up a level. So, there would be like an, an insane troll logic level. There was Willow Hand, um, <laughs> Sass, Sassy Eggs was another one for the for the, the jiggling booby eggs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it was like kind of like you know furiously like typing posts I suppose trying to move up a level yeah so that was kind of fun so there's all, all stuff like that so and were you like on the on the boards I mean I know obviously in the buffering group specifically there are like all these subgroups and people geographically can also like find each other like people who are located in the same cities or close to each other was that also part of the the board experience that you had like did you meet up with people ever uh, there was actually a, a kitten board convention in Las Vegas. Oh my God! Did you go? <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> wow! I really buried the lead there, Emma. <laughs> As the anthropologist, I don't know what am I? A detective? I don't know, but I just want to know. I want to know what was happening. Anything you can share? I remember that we went to a club and. Um, we stupidly did not bring our um, passports because we were like used to being only having to clear 18 not 21 yeah yeah like mm-hmm. you know if you if you got carded here like why because <laughs> it would just never happen so like mm-hmm. then we, I remember we had to sweet talk the guy on the door to let us in and I remember we played pool. I think it was us and then what, like one other person who came from the UK and everybody else was either American or Canadian. And um, we were playing pool and I remember there being some dispute or some some discrepancy between the rules between the oh. Europeans and the Americans. <laughs> and I can't, I can't even remember what it was. And then the cushions are... The cushions are very different. The pockets are different. So, like, every time, like, uh, balls were, like, bouncing out everywhere. And then eventually we were like, okay, so this is the difference. Like, the you know, you need to you need to try and pop the ball this way. And then everyone mm-hmm. thought that we were hustling because we suddenly improved. We worked out <laughs> the tables between the tables. But no, we're not. <laughs> we're probably pretending <laughs> to lose. Oh, my gosh. And so, like, was it, it was like a meetup. Like, there weren't, like, planned, like, it wasn't like there was, like, an agenda. It was sort of like, we're going to go to a bar. We're going to go play pool. We're going to, like, hang out wherever it, kind it, of casual. Yeah, so there were certain things planned. Like, some people went to see, like, Cirque du Soleil. Um, we couldn't afford it because we'd obviously had to pay for flights to come from England. Yeah. Um, and all and there were like certain like restaurant meetups and stuff like that. There wasn't there wasn't like a, a Willow and Tara agenda. I I, I know that, like there were certain times where we had like conference room booked out and everyone would sit around and sort of discuss things and chat about stuff and oh. talk about people's fanfic and um you know that oh that kind God. of thing. Um just yeah. sliding fan fiction under the table to each other. <laughs> yeah. I guess over the table because it's a <laughs> kitten convention. So you met your wife. You met your wife 
on the board. That was that was how you connected. But she didn't live in the place where you lived. She lived farther away. So yeah, there was there were sort of threads where you could introduce yourself and, and like say where you're from. And I, right. I think there might have been ones for like, you know, European, like mm-hmm. a thread for like European kittens or whatever. She was living in Ireland and I was in England. And she followed the same football team as me. So uh-huh. she was kind of A, close by, B, followed the <laughs> same football team and also loved Willow and Tara. So it's like, okay, well, it's like, you know, I can chat to this person. And then, so we used to chat on the board a bit and then that kind of moved to Yahoo Messenger, which was... Oh, wow, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, so we we kind of talked quite a bit on there and she sent me mixed CDs and Indigo Girls oh. CDs. I mean, it's classic. Oh, um, <laughs> oh you're killing me. You're killing me. <laughs> It's just so like so beautifully nostalgic, you know, and like I know that I'm sure you don't have to be like a uh, lesbian of a certain age to get the idea. But like certainly if you are a lesbian of a certain age, you are just tipping over with the nostalgia of <laughs> like just thinking of of the two of you sending mixtapes and finding each other on message boards for Willow and Tara. Yeah. Oh, what a beautiful, what yeah. a beautiful love story. OK, so continue. Yeah. <laughs> So we chatted on on Yahoo Messenger for a while and via email and stuff, and then eventually, like, we were like, oh, should, maybe we should call each other, um, which was like, you know, big scary moment. Oh, um, yeah, I got nervous for you twenty six years later. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so she, yeah, she was she was like on a, a family trip to a different part of Ireland and called me from outside a a pub. Um, we just just kind of hit it off, and I was like, "Wow, her Irish accent's amazing!" Um, you know, like sucker sucker for an Irish accent. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, and then it, you know, obviously, then it was just like phone calls, kind of every night, and eventually in the January, um, we met up. It was like a confirmation of everything mm-hmm. that you've sort of built up over a period of time. Yeah. So, you, so it doesn't feel like you know like you're on a first date or anything sure because you've already had that kind of you've already built up a relationship and then after that it was just kind of like however often we could afford to fly I suppose but yeah so so we kind of did a few trips backwards and forwards and then um like I say we went to Vegas in February in fact I moved to Ireland in the June or July of that year I think yeah and then we, we lived there for like year or two and then came back to England because um that was it was we came over the year before civil partnerships came in here okay so that was kind of like a big a big reason why because we knew we would have rights here yeah yeah so talk to me a little bit about the fact that you knew what was going to happen you had read the transcript of this episode before it aired for a really long time there had been rumors that a, a Scooby was going to die mm-hmm. so obviously everyone was really worried about who it was going to be and then progressively it became we think it's going to be Tara it's definitely going to be Tara this is when it's going to happen and then you know you, you'd be waiting for the episode synopsis to come out and then obviously when when it came out then it was like confirmed but then there was still that kind of like okay well it doesn't mean she's going to stay dead but yeah but there was al- already kind of like rumors that the arc was going to be Willow is going to go evil. Um, yeah. She's going to want to destroy the world, etc. So you kind of thought Tara is not coming back. 
Right. I can't believe that your first, like, that the way that you intook that information for the first time was reading it through, like, I'm just imagining, like, a bunch of Angelina Jolie's hacking into feeds. Like, <laughs> yeah. <getting. laughs> yeah. It's kind of mad now when I think about it. I guess it helped, A, to be spoiled, because you really wouldn't want to just see that, because, like, I, ca- I actually can't imagine watching that episode mm-hmm. and not knowing what happens at the end. Because you would just be so blissfully happy. You never had that content, that Willow and Tara content before, really kind of properly being treated like any other couple. You know, the the scenes in bed, just the 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 banter between them, like, you know, those those little moments. Um you just and then to have all that taken away, you know, and not not see it coming. Um yeah. you know, thankfully I I I knew exactly what was coming. It didn't you knew. It, and I mean, it still hurt, but... Right. Well, and you... Not only did you know in advance, but you also were, like, surrounded by, I imagine, a community that was very upset and grieving and all of those things to get there, which yes. I would imagine is, yeah. is helpful. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I just would spend endless hours on there. Like, as soon as I came back from work, I'd, I'd be straight on on the on the kitten board and and you know joining in the conversations and reading what people had said and being immersed in the whole thing because it was just they were so unique at that time there wasn't really anything else that it was the first time ever I'd ever been invested in a a relationship like that before I'm not saying it would have been easier for like if it, if it happened now, if we were in 2021 and Willow and Tara were on TV and that happened, I'm not saying it would be easier for fans now, but back then I think the proportion of people who weren't out or weren't living their best gay lives would, be, would have been higher. Mm-hmm. And I think that that made it really hard to deal with for people because they were like their kind of beacon of hope. Um, and, and especially being in everyone's living rooms and kind of having those those kind of representations on TV in front of your family and that sort of thing. I think it was a really, really hard time for a lot of people. Yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit more about the FAQ thread? That's sort of how you and I came together is that you shared that with me. What was what was happening at that time? At the time that it happened, obviously there was a lot of processing and there was a lot of talk about, you know, this is this is part of the cliche and there were people who didn't already know what that was um so there was a lot of kind of more scholarly people um you know sort of talking about the history of of gay representation on tv and and cinema and that kind of thing and then it kind of morphed into there needs to be something written around how willow and tara fit into this and um you know their place in the world and why they were important and the damage that it's caused and how how we we kind of feel as a consequence of what's happened. The authors were at pains to to point out that they didn't feel like anyone at Mutant Enemy was homophobic or anything like that. But you know, quite, kind of quite critical around things that had been said prior to Tara's death. Around you know she's not going anywhere. She's a big part of the show. I don't know whether at the time they knew what they were going to do, but mm-hmm. it's ill advised to to kind of say anything. And I think that I think the biggest thing for me about that was how much they mixed up, you know, the lesbian relationship with magic, and then the magic becomes dark and evil and addictive, um, yeah. and that whole mixed metaphor, and and then 
you know, the two kind of crashing together in, in, in seeing red in a really horrible way, you know, the, the lesbian sex that was metaphor in that episode becomes literal. And that is the moment when Tara is killed. And it, it, it just feels like, how could you not have seen that? You had to, right? You had to. I was thinking about this today in a totally different context, but like people will do backflips literally to justify getting what they need, right? It's like if they needed this device, they needed Willow to become like the big bad of season six. They needed whatever they needed to tell their story was more important than listening to a community fully there, fully present, fully. There's a whole community of people who could have talked to you about their feelings on this Yeah, that was disregarded. And like, that's just because what they wanted was more important, right? Like, yeah. And I, and that kind of, it's frustrating for a number of reasons, because it's like a, a what, a three episode arc as Willow as, as the big bad. So, so you've done all of that just for a three episode arc to make her the big bad of season six yeah this this is where myself and my wife diverge because she she will not watch it she won't watch season six um the whole season she yeah she 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 likes elements of it but she she certainly won't watch seeing red because it upsets her too much or anything past that i I, i've just done a rewatch with our son i've got to the point where i'm so incredibly angry and upset about tara but i think i've got to the point where i can appreciate the insanely camp nature of dark magic willow mm-hmm. you know her whole fly my pretty fly <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the wagging finger shame on you like I'm <laughs> so camp and i think if if this was like an alternate universe we would love dark magic willow as much as we mm-hmm. love doppelgangland willow because yeah. she's great and she's funny and but you can't really separate it's hard to separate it out from the rest of of what happens i just i t- i try and compartmentalize it yeah for sure emma is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to share anything that you've uncovered on your journey down kittenboard lane i did find some posts of mine when i was doing some research for this <laughs> um so that's but my my signature on there was bite me harris which just made me laugh so much <laughs> That's some credit that you get for, you know, to- 2003, you know, well, well ahead of the buffering <laughs> the vampire slayer opinions on, on Xander Harris. Yeah. Oh, Evan, this has been so freaking great. I can't thank you enough. This is just like, this is like really the Venn diagram of, of me is like you know like here I I do this podcast and I love the show and I love to talk about you know all the things that happen and it's super fun and it's super problematic and like yada 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 but like this is like the other huge piece of me and my work um is to like really get to talk to somebody who can tell me like first person some of the experience and I know you're you're just one person but it's just it's just magical to to have this in the like library of information that we're yeah that we're collecting um, so more than happy to to talk about Buffy and life and gay stuff anytime. <laughs> Amazing. That's that's my motto. So. <laughs> Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. 
Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Oh my gosh. Hi, it's me, Kristen, again. We're about to go over to further this conversation with Jen Malkowski. And before we do, I just wanted to tell you a couple of other things I learned about um, Emma and the kitten board that didn't make it into the main interview. Uh, The first thing, which I think is really important to note and which Jen and I will talk about more, is that after this episode aired and that processing on the kitten board happened, this thread, this FAQ thread went up. And at that time or around that time, the rule on the kitten board became that the reality on that board of Tara and Willow stopped before the last few minutes of seeing Red. Didn't include any of season seven, didn't include the rest of season six. This was what they would talk about on the board. And if you wanted to talk about anything past that, you could go to one of the threads that was designated for that purpose. And the last thing is just this very cool full circle thing, which is that Emma has a son who is 11 years old. And she told me when we talked that he is a massive fan of the music of one Jenny Owen Youngs and goes to her online shows and even has put in a few requests that Jenny has played. It's just... It's just nice, you know? So I'm just putting some nice things in your ears. Uh, And now... Let's go and talk to Jen Malkowski, who is simply brilliant and always a delight to listen to. Wow. What just, you know, the most hopeful thing of all time is when we get to bring you, Jen Malkowski, back to the podcast. (laughs) Someone has died. Call Jen Malkowski. That's my bat signal. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, call the death expert. (laughs) (laughs) I referred to you as a scholar of death in a recent conversation. So um, yeah, I guess that's accurate. Right? It felt felt legit. Um, Welcome back. 
Thanks so much for having me back again. Oh my gosh. Always a delight to have you on the podcast. Truly. Like I say, I, I joke about like, oh no, if we have Jen back, that means <laughs> someone has died. But really, I mean, you're, I don't have to put too fine a point on this because all of our listeners know this as much as I do, but your conversation that you had with us on the body, I mean, all the conversations you've had with us, but especially the conversation that you had with us around the body was just so massively impactful for so many people. Um, and it's it's just really, really rad to have your voice and your experience. Uh, and, in, and in this case, really coming at this from a few vantage points as mm. a queer person uh, and also, like I now will call you forever, a scholar of death. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's true. Uh, a scholar of death. And I did, you know, watch this episode in real time when it aired um, as an out queer person who had been very invested in Willow and Tara. So, yeah, I do have a couple of angles on this one. You know, I think that like queer women's community was <laughs> not not all queer women in 2002 watched the show or cared about these characters, but there were a lot of people who were like, really upset and really hurt and really grieving this um, TV character who were seeing all of this pushback invalidating their feelings and saying, well, the Buffy writers aren't homophobic, so what's the problem here? And just the the lengths that they had to go to to defend this position of like, that's basically saying, I have a right to be hurt by this. You know, I have a right to think that this was unjust what happened on this show and unfortunate. Truly, there's so much in that FAQ where they are saying, we would like to be very clear. We do not think anyone at Mutant Enemy is homophobic. Like, let us first take away your fear, uh, mm -hmm. writers, that mm -hmm. we are calling you bad or homophobic or whatever. And now will you listen to yeah. why this has harmed us and hurt us? Definitely. I think it's kind of neat to look back at that thread and realize that as much as it feels sometimes like things don't get better in representation, there are still so many problems, you know, with all kinds of representation, you know, of marginalized folks, we have so much more language now. We have so many more precedents for how to talk about intent isn't the same as impact, how to talk about mm -hmm. um, harmful tropes, like the power that media has, all of that. But in, in 2002, I think it was, it was harder for people to listen and to have this kind of conversation taken seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yes. And also, you know, I've obviously as a queer person myself and as somebody who has done a lot of research and work in queer history and what have you, some of these things I have been aware of, but I have also uncovered a lot of specifics as I've dug. For example, I knew that Tara was one of these dead lesbians, for mm -hmm. lack of a better uh, turn of phrase. But I also knew that Lexa from The 100 was a really massive character in this same trope. Mm -hmm. And when I was reading about them, not only did I not realize that Lexa was 2016, I think. So, like, we're talking 14 freaking years after this <laughs> outcry is documented and has happened. But also then, because I didn't watch The 100, I read the cause of Lex's death, stray fucking bullet. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> so it's not to scream right at the top, but like, I, I just, uh, as much as I want to give like some measure of credit to mm. it being 2002. Yeah. I'm just not sure how much credit is is deserved, given right. the fact that 14 years later, now having these like reams of posts clearly <laughs> illustrating 
why this is harmful. <laughs> and having the writers say, oh, we didn't know. We're so sorry. We didn't know. Like, like if we give them that credit, then what about the next crew and the crew after that? And mm-hmm. the crew, so it's almost as if the people <laughs> writing these shows are not queer women <laughs> and <laughs> haven't done any research. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's a common thread right. <laughs> linking and some of these problems. I want to talk. So there's two things that have immediately jumped to my mind. But one is we're talking about barrier gays. We're talking about all of these like lesbian and bisexual women specifically that have been killed off. And um, you shared you shared something with me before the start of this call that kind of made my brain explode in two ways. So do you want to talk for a second about what you shared with me? Yeah. So I just wanted to bring into this conversation a really important book uh, that was published in 1981 by Vito Russo. And I don't... No relation. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I, you know, I don't have all the background on, you know, this as a, a research project or, or him as um, a historian, but basically, you know, he was a, a queer man who wrote um, the first, I think, the first published history of representations of homosexuality in film and television that was really comprehensive. It was, it's like a thick book. It's just anecdote after anecdote after anecdote. It's pretty encyclopedic. Um, And he's writing about this history of representation up until 1981, which basically is is mostly bad. (laughs) Like it's Mm -hmm. mostly bad um, in all the ways that bad might resonate, (laughs) um, for us today. Um, not that there wasn't anything of value, not that people didn't find, um, you know, representations that meant something to them in that time, but he ends the book with an appendix called the necrology. And this is just a straight list of all the films in which, uh, a queer character dies, the character who dies and the cause of death. And there's a lot of films on this list. And, um, you know, so out of about, I don't know, maybe like 30 films here, it's straight down the line, suicide, 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 murder, 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 murder. Um, and that's the sound, that's the audiogram for this episode. It's just you saying <laughs> suicide, 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 murder, 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 murder. Yeah. So it's really powerful to me to look back on this document, you know, published in 1981. And and you were saying, oh, it's like the list that Autostraddle put up, you know, their comprehensive cataloging. And, And it's just, I think, comforting to see, you know, that our queer history is full of you know, people like you who are paying attention um, to what's going on in media and who are having these conversations and cataloging and pushing back um, against representations of our community that are like not for us, by us, you know, um, and not in our interest in a lot of cases. The cataloging is like, it makes, I feel like the, probably the closest I've come to weeping in uh, any of the taping surrounding this episode is just thinking about the cataloging, especially when, when you showed me this um, Vito Russo, sort of like the, the, the way that the book was completed. And I had just seen, I knew that there was a cataloging of, and on Autostraddle to be specific, it is simply dead lesbian and bisexual characters on TV uh, and how they died. And right now there's 214. The mm. list begins in 1976. Um, let's see who it was in 1976. Let's see who our first was. Julie in a show called Executive Suite. Uh, she was hit by a car. 
Um, her, her love interest had just walked into traffic after realizing her lesbianism mm. and Julie was chasing her. So right. it's all there for that. We got, well, that's that's a, like the, yeah, that's a suicide attempt and, and I guess an uh, accidental, uh, violent, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. death. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's, I think it's just, it makes me emotional to think about because, I mean, you know, uh, Reese on Autostraddle cataloging this now is, of course, very different than Vito Russo cataloging it in the 80s. But it's still like, how many people even know that these catalogs exist until there's a reason to call on them? Mm. And then they're there. It's like doing the work that we know will, like, carry more value later, even if it's not in our lifetime kind of a deal. And it makes me very... um, emotional because I think it's powerful. I think the tough part, you know, in terms of what you're saying there, how many people know it's there, you know, and we need to call it up when something terrible has already happened, you know, in media to, to characters we've invested emotions in, um, is you look back at some of the kind of archived responses from the Buffy writers. Um, and, you know, they said out front, we realize how important Tara is to everybody. We're not going to do anything to her. She's going to still be on the show. She and Willow are happy. And they're saying that all the way through. And you can see that the fans are anxious, right? Because of what has happened to them every single time. Uh, You know, they've invested in um, a, a queer woman in media or so often, right? And this show, just to emphasize, like Buffy did a great thing by having a regular, you know, every week, you know, lesbian couple on the show for two seasons. That was unprecedented. It wasn't anywhere else on TV at that time. It meant so much to people. And and the fans were forecasting to the writers, like, this matters don't. to us. Please don't. Yes. Please don't do this. Please don't. Like, we have, it's not even like we're saying, I wonder if the queer people at the time were worried. Like we literally are here in this space. I have at least two of you saying, right. we were there. We were saying it. We have a record of it because of these forums. Like it's, it was there. And, and I've seen, you know, I've, I've been sort of hanging out on the boards a bit from the past. And I saw somebody say basically this, which is just like, it's almost worse. It's almost mm-hmm. worse that mm-hmm. you did it so right yeah, and then still did this than it would have been if you had just done it wrong because <laughs> like, we cared so much about that. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, I think that's something that I would imagine. I don't think the writers grasped like what those characters meant to the community in the way that you grasp it when you've lived it. Right. Yeah. Like maybe yeah. they knew, but they probably didn't know. No. Um, they didn't know enough to not say, but I- I'm just going to, so I'm going to read if, if I may, mm-hmm, Jen, mm-hmm. just a small bit of a writer's quote that this is from 2002. Mm-hmm. Or it's from after it has already happened. And there has been an outcry from fandom, uh, but from, from fucking fandom who was like, please, like we just said, please don't, please don't, please don't. And then this happened. There's an outcry. Um, I'm not saying the writer's name because I like you can find it if you want to. I'm not about to take somebody down by name from 20 years ago. But the quote is important. In my experience, people who cite the dead lesbian cliche in reference to Tara do not understand. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm already upset. (laughs) (laughs) 
do not understand the cliche itself. Let me be clear that this is a white man, okay? A white, (laughs) straight man, for to my knowledge. Presentations of lesbians in film and television have historically presented these women as troubled, twisted, and desperate. This is true. Like, the, the uh, this is me offing the quote now, off of the quote now. But, like, y- you know, yes, in, in the earlier representations on television, we saw, just like I read that the first lesbian to die on TV, according to Autostraddle, it was like, oh, no, I'm a lesbian. That's horrible. So I mm-hmm. should definitely mm-hmm. die. They were not accepted by society, and the only appropriate ending for them was either to be killed or to commit suicide, thus denying these characters any chance at happiness, and also providing for the audience a rather clean solution to an embarrassing problem, how to get rid of the lesbian. In the character of Tara, we carefully constructed a young woman who was vibrant, alive, self-sufficient, funny, sexy, compassionate, strong, and learning to stand on her own two feet. We wanted you to love her so that when we took her away, I can't with some of these sentences. (laughs) What? The audience would feel her absence as something painful, just as Willow did, and absolutely not as relief as the cliche holds. The character was, in my opinion, in stark contrast to and the exact opposite of the old lesbian cliche. Uh, Here it comes. Are you ready? In characterizing Tara's death as yet another in the string of cliched lesbian deaths, you indicate you do not see Tara as anything but a lesbian. You do not see her as the unique character she was, but rather just as a woman who had sex with women. And and it's like almost impossible for me to read this. (laughs) You can do it, Kristen. And in doing so, you reveal your own homophobia, your own prejudice, And more than anything else, your own lack of understanding of what we did with that character. Don't forget this person closes. Thanks for the opportunity to say so. (laughs) I couldn't do it. I needed needed an assist with the last line. This this quote was posted, I want to just say, on a board that was not the kitten board, okay? This was not, the, the only reason that it was ever put on the kitten board is because somebody from the kitten board saw this was posted on another board and brought it into the kitten board mm-hmm. fold. So I just um, read a quote that hurt me deeply. I'm just gonna <laughs> let you talk about it for a second. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was reflecting back on this and, and thinking, I think some progress we have made since this time is that TV writers would not say <laughs> say something quite like this anymore. No. Even <laughs> um, if they thought it, they definitely would Even if they thought it. it. I mean, <laughs> the the gall of, you know, because who was saying, you shouldn't have killed yes. Tara, this is part of this cliche. It was queer women. <laughs> so he's saying, queer women, this is your own internalized homophobia manifesting. You know, you didn't see Tara as a person. I mean, the whole thing is a contradiction in terms. If you didn't yeah. see Tara as a person, yeah. you wouldn't be upset about this. If you're upset about this, you obviously didn't see Sarah as a person. (laughs) But, you know, the part that really strikes me and that I think reveals something that's um, underlying a lot of the show Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which, again, I love. I love this show. But, you know, this person says, we wanted you to love her so that when we took her away, the audience was feel her absence as something painful. Um, you know, this is a show it, with great writers and writers who really know how to like get you to invest. And then they like stab and twist the knife real good. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something I think, you know, those of us who like the show can own about like, yeah, maybe I enjoy 
those kind of emotional contortions that the show um, creates. Like I love the end of Becoming Part Two. I love the gift. Like I love yes. how sad those episodes make me yes. and how powerful they are. But but there's there's like kind of a hint of like a, a sadism here. That's not like a fun, sexy sadism. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of about having power over your audience, having power to like hurt your audience mm-hmm. in a certain way that I'm not saying is the intention of, you know, this writer in, in the way he's framing this, but that I think is an undercurrent from, you know, a lot of the framing of difficult moments on the show. Totally, totally. And it's just, I mean, I, I, not to put too fine a point on it, but the... I think you used the word gall mm-hmm. to not not only not listen to the reasoning, but to think that you know better. Mm. Right. Because that's really what it is, is like you'll get you'll get where you'll get to where I'm at. You just need a little more time with it. And and also that, like, I can't ever go back in time and be inside that writer's room. But it sure as hell seems like they knew that Willow needed to turn and be the big bad of the end of this season. And what could call like that they just couldn't come up with another idea that would do it. So even though they knew they shouldn't kill Tara, even though they knew that it would harm a community, they, like you said, didn't understand the the level or the depth of that harm. Um, And they also just said well it's the easiest way Mm -hmm. as a writer that is like yeah I mean certainly Willow cares so much about Tara I mean there's a whole other conversation in there about like how then Willow tries to destroy the world with her grief yeah it Uh, makes a lot of sense makes logical (laughs) sense for that character (laughs) oh god but Um, yeah I mean And, and, and you, you know, yes, it's narratively the easiest way to push a character over the edge and make them do something really extreme. You know, if you're writing a script is to take away a person they love in like a horrible, unjust, violent way. Coincidentally, it's almost always women. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, this is like, people have written all over the place about fridging and like the, you know, the, um, the trope of killing off, uh, you know, a female, usually romantic interest to motivate usually a man, you know, on some kind of quest or vengeance or pursuit or, or whatever mm-hmm. that I think, you know, I mean, it frames the character as disposable. And that's something I think when we get into talking about the actual scene, we see the ways that the writers signal Tara was a disposable character, unfortunately, to them. Yes. Let's talk about the scene. Yeah. So the, you know, I think there's the narrative context for the scene and then there's the aesthetic realization of the scene. Right. Um, You know, in terms of narrative, like how do we see that like Tara is, is used as a disposable character? Um, You know, one way we see it is that her death is collateral damage, right? This is a stray gunshot. (laughs) There's kind of no bigger like F you to a character than to be like, you're just going to die by accident. Mm -hmm. Um, When you think about other characters who have died on the show, there's been always like, um, you know, a kind of like messaging, a kind of arc, a kind of like drama to it, right? Like Jenny Callender is killed by Angelus you know, she has like deceived the gang and this is kind of like a comeuppance in a way, but it's also tragic because she's on the cusp of, you know, her penance and figuring out how to restore him. Like that's a story. That's a story about Jenny Callender as a a real character, 
right? Um, you know, Angelus dying at the end of season two. Obviously, there's like 10 episodes of framing to that and much more than that if you think about his backstory. Um, even Joyce, who dies of natural causes, right? There's been like a season trajectory about her illness. And there's so much done with that death in terms of like, how do we grieve? How do we suffer loss? Like, it's yes. just, it's, it means something beyond the event itself. Yeah, we were still seeing it even when we were in normal again, you know, like we're still unpacking the, the loss of Joyce. Normal again is how like 20 episodes ahead of, you know, the body. Right. Right. Mm. So these other deaths are put in like a really carefully constructed narrative context that demonstrates why that character mattered and kind of gives them, uh, you know, an ending that means something. Um, but Tara is killed like as collateral damage by a stray gunshot. Her death scene is, um, super fast. If you actually look at the time codes, it's like, you know, from the moment that Tara is alive to the moment that Willow has like, you know, okay, she's dead. Now I'm going to be evil, um, is not much real time or screen time. And the main thing, you know, that I notice about that scene is that Tara's like death, which you recognize she's dead at the end of that episode. It's not a cliffhanger to next week yeah. is intercut in this very like equal way with Buffy's gunshot wound and Xander being worried about Buffy. If you're a viewer of any right. television show, right. <laughs> you know that the protagonist of the show is not going to be killed three episodes before the end of the season there's no suspense about, is Buffy going to die? Right. I mean, obviously she's not. She's already died this season. <laughs> she's literally died twice. Like if they were to pull that hat trick, one, a third fucking hat, that's enough. Yeah, yeah you know, they're at least going to save it for a finale if she's going <laughs> right. to die again. Or she died last season, but resurrected Right, this right. Season. season finale of one, season finale of five, and uh, season finale of six. Right. Sure. Three episodes before the end of season six, and then Sarah Michelle Gellar just won't be in it for the last three episodes. So it's just like, it's, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's saying we're like going to give this fake suspense about is Buffy going to die that's put in terms of how it's edited, the editing is signaling to us that these are equally important events that are happening. Like downstairs, Buffy is hurt. Upstairs, Tara is dead, right? Um, and I think certainly also, you know, just like the, the really graphic um, staging of it, you see the bullet hole, you know, Willow is like splattered by her dead girlfriend's blood. Yeah. Um, you know, there's nothing um palatable about it. Yeah. Um, it's really graphic. And I think it plays into this pattern in Buffy the Vampire as a show. This is a show that really leaned hard on character development happening in response to violence and trauma, right? Right. Right. Um, yeah. you know, that's like a little bit of just the nature of a horror action show. A lot of violent things are going to happen, but I think just looking at this moment again, I, I just continually feel like this doesn't have to be the only way that people can grow and change. Right. Um, you don't have to like torture your characters with horrible emotional losses over and over again. 
um, to create that. And I say that fully cognizant that, you know, Buffy Summers is a character who goes through loss after loss after loss. And her arc is really interesting. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love seeing the way that Buffy as a character grows and changes, you know, and finds resilience in response to all those moments in her life. But this one, you know, it just, everything we're getting from the show is signaling that this is a character who can be thrown away without much careful treatment you know, in terms of how the scene is staged, you know, for an, an arc in the show that isn't going to have long lasting consequences, really, well, you know? Right. That's the thing. And that's like part of the conversation with Emma was, you know, I mean, she said like her wife won't even watch the season because mm -hmm. this happened, this happened. And the arc that results is truly three episodes long. Mm hmm. I mean, it's a big yeah. arc for Willow, <laughs> but it's three episodes. And that is another, like, I think it's just a lot of slaps in the face. You know, yeah. it's like not, I don't think there would be any justifying killing off either one of these two queer characters, given the representation that they had embodied on the show. Mm -hmm. But all of what you've just said about the the creation of the scene, the editing of it, the, the way that we see it happen in real time, the fact that we know it results in an arc that is literally three episodes mm -hmm. long. Um, and then like it, perhaps not icing, but uh, on the cake is the fact that Tara Amber Benson had never been in the credits. Before. Oh gosh. Yeah ever and then they as a gift to amber put her in the fucking credits in this episode mm -hmm. do you have memory of this experience and because because we're having a conversation mm -hmm. right now yeah as like two adult people looking back from 2021 <laughs> yeah. but t talk to me about tiny jen <laughs> yeah tiny jen i mean honestly i am so thankful that this episode happened in season six instead of season five just for my own personal history because um you know seasons four and five of willow and tara i was like a, a closeted unhappy high school student you know figuring out my sexuality coming to terms with that Willow and Tara meant so much to me. I mean, I look back and it's a little embarrassing, like how much they <laughs> meant to me, but I didn't really have, um, you know, many queer friends and, and I, you know, I did have a queer friend, but like I wasn't out. So I wasn't talking to that person right. about right. my sexuality. Um, I didn't have community and, you know, this was my outlet for that part of myself that felt really big and important and unresolved. So I would watch Buffy every week and like, you know, I'd tape the episodes. I'd like memorize all the Willow and Tara scenes, like the lines in them. I'd like doodle them in my notebook in class. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was really invested. I was one of those people who, you know, was really invested in, in this representation that got taken away. Thankfully for me, I went off to college you know, the summer before season six started. Yeah. So by the time this happened on the show, I like had a girlfriend, I had queer community and I was in like a place where I was like, wow, this really sucks, but this isn't my whole life. And, you know, like this yeah. isn't like where this part of myself is invested anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I'm sure, you know, there were uh, tons of people who were a year behind me and were still in that place of really needing the couple yes. that was on the show. I mean, you see that all over the way people responded to this event. Well, and that's what it, like, I think when we talk about listening and like the writers, like, of course, like cis straight writers are not going to be able to like 
understand. I mean, like no one would no one would expect them to literally understand the experience. But I think that most people sitting down and hearing you say what you just said or hearing Emma say what Emma says in our conversation would be able to understand it as a thing bigger than what they thought. Mm -hmm. But it was sort of like the lack of of listening um, to all of these. I mean, also at the time, a lot of the fandom were young, closeted. Yeah. Queer people. Totally. So like, yes, we have like this incredible FAQ that we talked about and we have like the kitten board and what have you. But for every one person on the kitten board posting anonymously, a Mm -hmm. lot of them, There are how many people who don't know about a kitten board who are watching at home and who yeah. didn't even have that community. Oh, totally. To... And who like didn't even know what this episode was going to be when they sat down on Tuesday night, you know? Did you know? Because like, Emma so my, my girlfriend at the time said, I know you hate spoilers, but I just want to tell you like something wow. bad might happen on Buffy this week. I how did she know? <laughs> she loves spoilers. <laughs> oh my God. So she was like, she was of, also a huge of... Buffy fan and she would read all the spoilers every week. All she the was spoilers. Like, yeah. Oh but that was God. good. I had a little warning, but um, yeah, I think the really ironic and, and tough thing too, is that if you are a show in 2002 that has a lesbian couple on it, the moment that begins all the lesbians are now watching your show. Right. Right. So there were people who didn't care about Buffy before. And then they heard from a friend or on the internet, the the little baby internet, that this show had a lesbian couple. I mean, you know, at that, you remember, Kristen, at that time, (laughs) it's like you would watch anything, anything. Yeah. That had six seasons, seven seasons of the L word. I'll watch it. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But yes, that is incredibly true of that time. And I mean, I still think like there's some truth to that now. There's just so many options. Yeah. Every time I see a show repeated several times in my feed, I'm like, who's gay? Who's gay? (laughs) It's it's in my Twitter feed so many times. Somebody's got to be gay. I remember remember feeling like the first time I knew that a show had queer women on it. And I was like, "Eh, I don't know if I'm going to watch that. That was a moment. You know, that was a moment where you thought this has kind of changed. Oh, yeah. Because back here, when we dial back to 2002, um, if you were somebody who wanted uh, to see queer people on television, you watched literally anything. And it was easy Mm -hmm. to do. There was what? Three, four. You know, (laughs) you didn't have to watch much. In 2002. Yeah. Um, And and like you, I mean, I was not watching this in real time, but in 2002, I was 22. You know, I had graduated from college. I had already had my first horrible breakup and Mm -hmm. was about to get into Mm -hmm. my second relationship. Um, I had, uh, uh, I was living in New York City. I would go out to Henrietta Hudson's and Meow Mix. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, so I had like a community on the ground, um, like like you're saying you did in college, to catch me. Um, and that, had I been witnessing it in real time, like I would have had community to fall back mm-hmm. on. And I, I like to give credit to the kitten board. Like that is also what that is. It's It was a place, I mean, Emma talked about how um, there was like a rule established on the kitten board after you know mm-hmm. when it's like it's like when when something horrible happens and you don't actually understand what you need until like a little while has passed whatever that time was for the kitten board then this this rule was made that unless it was on a designated thread no nothing would be talked about past the last five minutes <laughs> of seeing red and like 
it's just really beautiful to me. Like mm. it's mm-hmm. it, it's it's like a community just taking care of each other the only way they know how. Like we had this nice thing and the bad people took it away, <laughs> but we can still have it here. God damn it. Totally. You know? Like the, they carried each other in that space. It's actually funny because there's a line about Willow later on in Buffy in season seven. Someone says about Willow, oh, you always stop the movie Moulin Rouge like 20 minutes before it ends so that you don't have to like acknowledge, you know, what happens at the end. And it's that's what people did for her character. Right. Um, For Willow and Tara, they just said, we're going to live in a world where things ended right here. And I think that's like, that's a great testament to, you know, the power of fandom and, you know, the power of audience shift. The the thing, like the TV show, the movie isn't done when it goes out into the world, like the reception of it and how you choose to watch it, how you choose to encounter it um, Mm -hmm. is part of the authoring of it. Mm -hmm. Queer community, Mm -hmm. like not fucking around, you know, queer community, (laughs) not fucking around since 18. I don't know. I don't have a year. I'm not a historian. Um, but yeah, it all, it all threads together in my heart, like just like Vito Russo writing the book and Reese making her list and the kitten board, like creating all of these like safety systems and mechanisms Mm -hmm. to have compassion and care for each other communities. I mean, I saw your face light up, Jen, when I mentioned meow mix, we know Mm -hmm. what these spaces are. Like they, they, you can't explain them to other people. That's what we get yeah, as part of the totally. community. You and, know. and and let it not go unsaid that, um, you know, you and Jenny and everyone on the team makes buffering that kind of space as well. Um, you know, I think it's really apparent in the way you uh, run the podcast that you are aware of the things that might be hard for people to encounter, that you like create a lot of different ways to engage with your content in a way that feels safe and and like you're in community. Thank you. I feel like no matter what I do, you always find a way to say something nice about it while we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, reading, I mean, going back to the kitten board um, and like just sort of like digging through some of the threads and what have you, I was also really struck by how similar it was to like our Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's just such, such a similar community of human beings talking and taking care of each other in such similar ways, which again, just really, it's just very powerful to me. Absolutely. It makes you wonder if, uh, you know, back in the 19th century, there were little like letter exchange clubs that were like oh, reading no. subtexty queer, you know, oh, novels. No. That's I hope too so. Exciting I like to imagine me. that. I like yes. to imagine that. I'm simply, I just like, I panicked. I was like, I may be too delighted about this idea to continue <laughs> on the conversation. <laughs> Nothing would make me happier than like the <laughs> queer pen pals of yesteryear. I'm sure like, you know what, there's, there's some, you know, queer studies historian who's already published on that and mm-hmm. your listeners who's will probably go out. Pause this episode. Yes, and is exactly. He's emailing right you now. right now and oh, your yeah. listeners will go out and find that book and you will tell everybody about it and we can all be delighted. Ah, it's so great. Letter exchange clubs in the 19th century. So one more thing that I want to touch on with you, Jen Malkowski. And that is that I have been sort of banging my fists on the screen for the duration of the relationship between Willow and Tara because we've either seen their sexual relationship portrayed as magical or we've seen it um, in like loving romantic ways and not sexualized ways. And this episode, the last episode ended where Tara was like, let's do it. 
Her actual line is, can you be kissing me now? But we all know what Mm -hmm, she means. mm -hmm. And we see them in bed, naked. They are so overtly having sex for the first time ever. And then one of them simply must die. Yeah. I mean, they're not only like in bed naked, but the only thing they do for the whole episode is talk about how they're just staying in bed naked all day and they're not like going to do anything else. Scene upon scene upon scene. It's like <laughs> we, we pass through much time in the episode of like they're they're in bed, then they get out of bed, then they're doing research, but naked and in bed. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's basically like the fanfic of Buffy that all of the fans were writing the whole yes, time. They're yes. still doing research, but they're naked in bed. But they're naked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the sexuality ramps up so much in this episode. And this is like Buffy is not a show that has a good track record to fall back on in saying like, we wouldn't punish like women for their sexuality. No way. We wouldn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a show that has like revealed its own kind of like inner turmoil about what women's sexuality or maybe just sexuality in general Mm -hmm. um, actually means and whether it's good and natural and right, or whether it's a thing that needs to be followed by violence and retribution and horror. Um, and so the fact of so much very literal sexuality between Willow and Tara in this episode being immediately followed by Tara being killed. Um, again, I don't, you know, I don't believe, and I don't think anyone was saying at the time, you know, these writers are homophobic. They're just trying to punish the lesbians, but this is a kind of really like beyond the pale negligence about putting something on screen that plays into a lot of really harmful tropes that you claim to be aware of, you should have been aware of. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, the sexuality bit is another big piece of that. There is such a history of like the, the lesbian being ashamed of her sexuality and either killing herself or being killed and the writers knowing that they were doing that and doing that intentionally. But the thing is, is that when there's like a history of that, you not only need to be aware that it is bad, but you actually have to make your decisions to like upend that. Like you can't just say like, Oh, well, but we weren't doing it for that reason. That that's not helping. It's it's just, mm-hmm. whether or not you meant it or not, right? You talked about the fact that now we have this language of like intent versus impact, etc. It doesn't matter if your intentions were to give Tara a full life before you killed her. <laughs> the fuck? Uh it, what matters is that there's a history and mm-hmm. if you want to subvert that history, you simply cannot kill Tara. Not yet. Maybe we could kill Tara in 20, 25 years. Perhaps that it, that would be open to us. But yeah. in 2002 that door was not fucking open <laughs> and I'm sorry to say it's not really open now in 2021 either. It wasn't. And I mean that's I think the reality you have to accept if you're going to do ground groundbreaking work in representation and it's yeah. not exactly fair but you have to realize you know we're telling a story that this community desperately needs and doesn't have and because of that it's more important for us to take care of that community than to do whatever we want with the narrative and i think some people who kind of wander into these representations i don't i don't know that I'm not aware of any queer writers on Buffy who were really invested in having a queer couple on the show. Mm -hmm. You know, I think they were well-intentioned people who kind of just ended up being the ones breaking this ground. But Mm -hmm. um, you kind of have to accept certain limitations if you're going to be reaping the benefits. And let's be real, the viewership benefits too. 
yes. um, of offering yes. up that kind of representation. So Jen, is there anything that you would like to bring to the conversation that we haven't touched on yet? You know, I just, I'm thinking about the, that policy on the kitten board, like, unless it's in this thread, Will Ontario's storyline ends 10 minutes before the end of seeing red and, and the way people kind of create those alternate universes for themselves. Um, but I think there's something, you know, there's something that always sticks with me. There's something that uh, a scholar of film noir named Janie Place said about femme fatale characters in classic film noir. So film noir is, you know, detective movies from the 40s and 50s. And the femme fatale was this like total badass woman who was kind of like deceiving men and out for herself and, um, you know, kind of outsmarting everybody and really independent in a way that no other characters on screen were who were women at that time. And because of that, she always had to be punished. Of course. <laughs> I was like, that will not stand. <laughs> right. Oh, no, not even not even just in, you know, um, script writing convention, but actually in Hollywood's own system of self-censorship called the production code of America, movies couldn't practically be released to make money if they didn't get the stamp of approval from this thing. And that code, you know, said crime doesn't pay. You can't like have a movie that ends with criminals getting away with things like combine mm. that with misogyny <laughs> and the femme fatale. No, was thank always, you. <laughs> <laughs> the fatale, in the end, she was always dead or she was going off to jail or sometimes she got married and that's how you knew mm. she had been redeemed. Um, oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> but what Janie Place says about that character is, you know, these resolutions happened in the last two minutes of the movie. But when you think back to double indemnity or when you think back to uh, out of the past, it's not like the woman in handcuffs being taken off to jail that you remember. It's this like incredibly powerful character mm. and all the stuff she did before that that makes this indelible mark on you, right? And I think we can say that about Tara as a character and about Willow and Tara's relationship too, that like, this is where it ends. But even if we don't forbid ourselves from thinking or talking about, you know, this death, it's like what most of us remember about Willow and Tara isn't, you know, the last scene of seeing Red. It's like what, how this couple like grew and evolved and, and what they meant to us and like the stupid Renaissance fair dresses they wore <laughs> and some of the ridiculous moments too. But levitate lingus, let us <laughs> levitate lingus. They were they were so much more powerful than the way the story ended. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think like that's what we remember when we look back, even as we have to also like encounter and reckon with, you know, this violent ending. Absolutely. Well, Jen, I think we may have done it again. I think you may have done it again. <laughs> um, thank you for for sharing your time with us and sharing. I, what I love about this is like we get so many things from your personal history and also mm -hmm. your knowledge base. Um, and it's just been a, a real treat. And I think really important also like I not I mean, obviously talking about Joyce and how we saw death in the body was important for entirely different and some overlapping mm -hmm. reasons. Mm -hmm. But for me, as someone who has spent so many years like rolling around in queer history and um, seeing its impacts, it, it just means so much to have had you here. Um, so thank you. Absolutely. It was a real pleasure to be here, as always.
Hi, it's Jennifer, a founder of Go Kid Go and a mom to two kids. Join my family on the story train with calm conductor Birdie each night as we travel through the magic rainbow tunnel to everywhere and anywhere to find the best bedtime stories. Search for Story Train on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank <laughs> you.